This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're here to talk true crime. We are. But before we do, we would love to shout out our new lovely patrons this week. We have Jenny, Jessica, Bailey, and Joni. Thank you all so much for supporting our show. We really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the ad-free listens. So this week we are covering the picture-perfect murder of Nancy Cooper. This is a part one. Check out next week for part two. And we just want to add that some listeners may find the details in this story disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. You've been warned. On the morning of July 12, 2008, Jessica Adam became concerned about her friend and neighbor, Nancy Cooper. Nancy had suddenly vanished, and no one in the tight community could find her. Nancy, a 34-year-old mom to two girls, was living in a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina, while going through a contentious divorce with her husband, Bradley Cooper. Nancy wasn't secretive or quiet about her dislike for her husband and shared all the details of her unhappy marriage on the days she named I Hate Brad Days. Now, the night before she went missing, Jessica and Nancy were at a neighborhood dinner party when Nancy's husband came by after work to help Nancy take care of their two children, four-year-old Bella and two-year-old Katie. And by all accounts, Katie, the two-year-old, was fussy and crying, and Brad was asking Nancy for advice on how to quiet their daughter. Nancy very loudly told Brad that he was going to have to figure it out himself since she felt like he had only recently begun feigning interest in their children, only in public. Brad had suddenly begun spending more time with the children he largely ignored their entire lives. He worked long hours, and when he wasn't working, he was training for Ironman competitions, sometimes spending up to seven hours a day on a stationary bike. The recent changes in his behavior were influenced by a divorce workshop for men designed to help them limit spousal and child support payments. So back at the dinner party, Brad was humiliated when Nancy publicly berated him and said he should know how to soothe his own children and not to expect anything from her. Embarrassed, Brad took the two children home and put them to bed. Nancy left the party after midnight and hadn't shown up the next morning for an appointment at Jessica Adams' home. 
At the time, Nancy was trying to earn extra money and was helping Jessica paint her dining room with a special faux stone painting technique popular in the early 2000s. And Nancy had plans to come over her house at 8 o'clock in the morning. But she never showed up, and it was soon 9 a.m. She became worried and tried to call Nancy repeatedly at home and on her cell phone. And when she didn't answer, her gut told her Nancy was in trouble and something was very wrong. Out of frustration, she called Brad asking why Nancy hadn't come over. Brad told her that Nancy had gone out for a run early in the morning around 7 a.m. and hadn't returned yet. He, on the other hand, seemed unconcerned and said he didn't know anything about Nancy's plans for that morning as he assumed Nancy would be watching their children as he was planning to play tennis that morning with a friend. Jessica was suspicious right off the bat and felt Brad was lying, so she began calling mutual friends, sounding the alarm that Nancy was missing. They were all collectively and immediately suspicious of Brad. Close to five hours went by, and it was 2.15 p.m. The worry of Nancy's whereabouts was growing more and more, and so Jessica Adam called 911. She told the operator that her friend was missing, and although there is a recorded 911 call, I'm going to read you this because it's a little hard to understand due to the quality of the clip. Jessica said, quote, She supposedly went out for a run at 7 a.m. this morning in Lockmere, and no one has heard from her. She was supposed to be at my house at 8, and just because of the situation with the divorce, I'm just wondering if you could help, and I don't know what I should do. Her and her husband were living together, but they were in the middle of a divorce. According to her husband, when I called this morning around 9 a.m., he said that she had left this morning for a run early, and he believed it was with her friend, Carrie. She would have made contact with me or her other friends by now who both had expected her today, and the fact that her car is still at home and her cell phone is there is a little weird. That would not make sense. Her husband, maybe that he's done something, I don't, I mean, God forbid. I don't know that he's been physically violent, but I know that there's been a lot of tension. So I wouldn't be surprised, I hate to say it, but I'm just not sure what to do. As of right now, I think basically the information we have is that she left the house at 7 a.m., assuming her husband is telling the truth, and she's not returned, which wouldn't make sense, end quote. Jessica wanted to formally file a missing persons report, but was told by the 911 operator it would need to be filed by Brad or her family. Jessica told the dispatcher, I don't know how he's going to react to this either. The dispatcher told Jessica, you know what, it's okay, it's better safe than sorry. If you're concerned about her, this is what I would want my true friends to do too. From the concern and emotion in Jessica's voice, the dispatcher told her they would immediately send someone out to talk with Brad and, if necessary, would force a missing persons report. And as a result, police went in with the understanding they might have an adult in danger. When the police arrived, Brad wasn't home. Jessica and the police called Brad several times and he never answered the calls. Later, his cell phone records would show that he did in fact receive those calls, listened to the messages, and never returned the calls. About an hour later, he pulled into the driveway where Jessica was waiting for him with the police. 
He told them both he was out driving near Nancy's known running routes looking for her, but couldn't find her. According to court records, Officer Daniel Hayes and Detective Adam Dismooks responded to the call from Nancy's friends. All they knew was that Nancy had been missing for several hours and her neighbors suspected that her husband may have harmed her. They said that when they arrived, Brad seemed surprised that his neighbor would report his wife missing, as he felt like she was out getting coffee with a friend and time had gotten away from her. They stated that Brad allowed them into his home and let them look around. They thought it was odd that Brad immediately sat at the kitchen table and didn't call out for his wife to see if she had come home. Brad appeared lethargic and unworried about Nancy's disappearance and wasn't sure why police were involved because it hadn't been 24 hours. But you would think it would be a big deal. This is the mother of his children, his wife, and no one has seen her for hours. Brad told police that he had gotten up around 4 a.m. that day with his oldest daughter, Bella, and took her into his home office so she wouldn't disturb her from her mother or younger sister. Later, we'll find out that that was unlikely as Nancy had slept in a separate room from Brad where she would lock herself and her children into a room each night. So for whatever reason, he felt it was necessary to mention that he took his older daughter into his office at 4 a.m. Now, Brad denied that the two were getting a divorce and told officers that they each decided to put the divorce on hold and work on the marriage. This was something Nancy's friends and family would later adamantly deny. Brad went on to tell the police that he made two separate trips to the grocery store that morning, once to get milk and once to get laundry detergent. He stated that while he was at the store the second time, Nancy called him from their home phone around 6.40 a.m. and asked him to buy some green juice. Later, phone records and store surveillance video would confirm this phone call did take place. When he did arrive back home from the store, he heard Nancy ask where her running shorts were because she was going on a run with a new friend named Carrie. He heard the front door open and closed and assumed that Nancy had left on her run. He guessed that she was wearing the white t-shirt he saw her in earlier and perhaps a black and red sports bra. While in the house, officers noticed cleaning supplies still on the countertop and noted a dried stain on a fitted white sheet where Nancy slept. They asked Brad if he had any of the clothing Nancy was wearing the night before, and he said it was a blue dress with a thin strap, but he couldn't find it. Later, Brad would talk to Jessica, and they both agreed that Nancy was wearing a black dress, not blue. This will become important later in the investigation. Officers also had a chance to speak with all of the neighbors, and they all had disparaging things to say about Brad in varying degrees of severity and were quite informed with the relationship between the two. They were all alarmed that Nancy was missing and several came right out and accused Brad of harming his wife. The neighbors similarly reported that the two were getting a divorce because of Brad's infidelity. Investigators learned that Nancy had plans to take both of her daughters back home to live with her family in Canada. They learned that Nancy had no financial access to any of Brad's bank accounts or means to leave without Brad's permission as he controlled all of the money in the relationship. Of special note was the fact that Nancy's friends said she always kept her keys in her pocket and her cell phone with her while she slept. 
It sounds like Brad was a very controlling person and, well, Nancy just didn't feel safe, which is horribly sad to know as she was living in a house with her children and a person like Brad as her husband. Police also learned about two recent huge fights between the couple. One occurred on July 7, 2008, when Nancy and the girls returned from a vacation with her family in Hilton Head. And the other fight took place the day before Nancy allegedly disappeared on July 11, 2008. And that fight happened at that neighborhood dinner party when Brad discovered that Nancy was making extra money by helping Jessica paint her home. Because of this extra money, Brad wasn't planning to give Nancy her allowance that week. This is an argument that Brad denied having despite witnesses. As they were talking to Brad, it caught police attention as they noticed small red marks that looked like finger-shaped scratches on the back of Brad's neck, where he would be unable to see them or know about them to try to hide them. And he also had a Band-Aid on his middle finger. And another thing that caught them off guard is that it was 91 degrees that day, and Brad was wearing long pants and a long-sleeved shirt. As police got permission from Brad to take photos of his house, Brad made a comment about how cheap their photo equipment was. He wondered where all of his tax dollars were going since, obviously, it wasn't being spent on proper equipment. With that being said, officers noted that Brad never seemed worried, alarmed, or concerned about his wife's disappearance and believed she would return home shortly. In fact, that was why he had been cleaning the house all morning. These pictures will become important later in the story. At the time, police noticed that while the house was very messy with clutter everywhere, Brad was in the midst of a cleaning forensi. There were cleaning supplies everywhere, and Brad told investigators that he thought Nancy hadn't come home because she was still mad about the messy house. When she returned from her family vacation, she was shocked at the state of things. There was moldy dried food left out all over the house, including in the girls' playroom, where some of the food was covered in maggots, and the entire house was crawling in ants. According to a phone call that Nancy left for her father in Canada, every surface of the house was dirty and unfit for use. This was seen as red flags to officers since, according to neighbors, Brad was old-fashioned and had very rigid expectations of a wife's role and a husband's role in a marriage. What police found odd is that while Brad had clearly been cleaning and scrubbing, he wasn't actually doing anything about the messy items in the home. He was only concerned with a few areas of the house, like cleaning the floor, a bathroom, and doing the laundry. Investigators also noticed that there were car mats that were drying in the driveway of the Cooper home when they arrived. And when they asked about them, Brad told investigators that he had cleaned out the cargo area of his car because he had accidentally spilled gasoline in the area. That is when Brad voluntarily admitted to trying to prevent Nancy from leaving him by taking and hiding the girl's passports. Passports, which Nancy had been hiding in her car from him for months, along with other important financial documents. Nancy's husband, Brad, may not have been worried about her disappearance, but her family and neighbors were very concerned. That same afternoon when police were interviewing Brad and gaining his compliance and filing a missing persons report, a neighbor called Nancy's twin sister in Canada, Krista Lister. 
Krista and her twin sister were very close, and she immediately suspected that Nancy was gone from this earth. The two spoke almost every day, and sometimes several times a day, and she was just thinking about Nancy when Clea Morwick called her. They all knew that Nancy's children referred to their aunt as Krista Mum, since she had the same face as their mother. Later, Krista would say she was gone. She'd never leave her kids, so I knew she was in danger. I couldn't feel her anymore. I just knew something was really wrong. After speaking with Nancy's neighbors, Krista immediately called Brad and asked where Nancy was and for all the details surrounding her disappearance. But Brad was short and cryptic and said that she had gone for a run and just hadn't came back yet. When she pointedly asked him what he had done with her sister, Brad hung up on her. Krista immediately contacted the rest of their family. Her older brother, Jeff, was a police officer in Canada, her younger sister, Jill, and finally her parents, Donna and Gary Rents. After her dad got the phone call from Krista that Nancy was missing, he instinctively knew there wasn't going to be a happy ending. And so Donna and Gary were making their plans to go to North Carolina to search for their daughter. They were bothered that Brad hadn't even tried to contact them or tell them that Nancy was missing. It was just eight years earlier when they welcomed Brad with open arms into their close and nurturing family. To them, Brad was like another son, which made his silence feel like the ultimate betrayal. Nancy's parents would later tell investigators that Nancy had a larger-than-life personality, and as a result, she was always the life of the party. She always attracted equally outgoing men in her life until she met Brad. Now, there are differing accounts on how the two met, other than what we know for sure that they both met through work. At the time, Nancy worked for a company in Calgary, and Brad worked for IBM as an information technology specialist. Their respective companies interfaced with each other, and when the two finally met in person, Nancy felt sorry for him. He was shy, quiet, and reserved, and Nancy had offered to set him up with a friend. But the more they talked, the more they decided that they should date each other. In Brad's version of events, Nancy had asked him out several times. Each time, he declined after just going through a painful breakup. He and his fiance had dated for two and a half years, and he had just moved out. But eventually, Nancy allegedly wore him down, and they soon began dating. In both versions, Brad had complained that his ex-fiancé had left him emotionally scarred and bruised, and he wasn't ready to just jump into another relationship so quickly. According to Nancy's parents, Brad began to pursue Nancy with kind words and grand gestures. And at the time, Nancy was dating an older man who she loved very much. Unfortunately, his children were all grown up, and he didn't want to raise any children again. Nancy wanted to be a mother all of her life, and as a result, she chose Brad. And Brad fell right into the Rents family dynamics and loved the closeness that they all shared. By all accounts, Brad was not close with his own family, Carol and Terry Cooper, or his younger brother, Grant Cooper. He described them to the Rents family as cold, reserved, and without warmth. However, the feelings weren't universally reciprocated. In the book entitled Love Lies by Amanda Lamb, 
Krista felt like Brad was antisocial, and she had a hard time trying to connect with him, or even have a basic conversation about anything other than surface-level subjects. During December of 1999, Brad proposed to Nancy, and the two planned a large wedding for the spring of 2001. However, once Brad was offered a job with Cisco Systems in North Carolina, they canceled their big wedding and instead got married in front of a justice of peace with just her family present. Brad's family didn't attend. They were unhappy with the rush of the wedding, which was the only way that Nancy could move to the United States with Brad since she didn't have a work visa or green card. Nancy just didn't leave her family and country behind. Her twin, Krista, always felt like Brad moved her sister away to the U.S. to get her away from her close family so that he could isolate her, break her down and control her, something she thought he never would have been able to do in Canada. Krista believed that Brad got a sick joy out of making Nancy feel small because it made him feel big. Nancy couldn't work once she arrived in North Carolina, and they only had one car between them. Nancy was isolated, and almost immediately their marriage began to unravel. Brad worked long hours and controlled all of their money. Nancy was lonely and depressed, and soon she went back to Canada ready to end her unhappy marriage. But to the outside world, their marriage seemed happy, even picture-perfect. Nancy had a large engagement ring, they lived in a nice neighborhood, and Brad drove a BMW. But on the inside of the marriage, everything was the complete opposite. Brad was only concerned with the facade of their life and not their actual relationship. So when Nancy was ready to quit just a year into marriage, her parents told her that the first year is often the toughest and that she should just stick it out. They would come to regret encouraging Nancy to go back to her husband. But soon, Brad arrived begging Nancy to come back with him and promising to make changes, including buying her a car so she could have some independence while he worked long hours. So Nancy returned to North Carolina, determined to make her marriage work. After suffering four miscarriages, their first daughter, Bella, was born in early 2004, and Nancy was ecstatic. Regardless of the state of her marriage, Nancy was in love with motherhood and poured all of her focus into her new baby. Nancy also had close friends, and while she wasn't fulfilled or happy in her marriage, she was pretty happy with her life. Two years later in 2006, when Nancy became pregnant with Katie, her marriage deteriorated even more. That's when Nancy went from being isolated and largely ignored by her husband to verbally and psychologically abused. They stopped being intimate, and Nancy believed that Brad was now having an affair. She also wasn't allowed to have an ATM card and had to use a joint credit card for everything from food, gas, or diapers to anything else she wanted or needed. In fact, Brad would follow her to get gas so she couldn't secretly take cash back on his card just outrageously controlling. Brad didn't want her to have any financial independence he didn't control. But with two children to think about now, they continued to encourage Nancy to make her marriage work, never imagining how it would all end. On Sunday, July 13th, 2009, just 24 hours after Nancy went missing, 
police officers went back to Brad Cooper's house to ask him more specific questions. Most importantly, they wanted to find the dress that Nancy had been wearing on Friday night when she was last seen. One of Nancy's friends said she hadn't been wearing a black or blue dress as he told them the day prior. So they were now looking for a green dress. Brad announced that he had found the green dress she was wearing and handed it to police. It had been washed and dried, despite being a dress that Nancy normally would have dry cleaned. And police were annoyed because later they would find photos of the green dress in a laundry hamper when they first asked Brad to look around to find the dress she was wearing. Police were also told by neighbors that Brad was one in only 152 experts in the world who had experience with Cisco's proprietary phone and internet software. They all believed that Brad could remotely cut off Nancy's phone calls and could intercept her emails, which is why Nancy began communicating exclusively from a BlackBerry phone with their friends and family. Later, it would come out that both of these things were true. In fact, at one point, Brad wanted Nancy and the girls gone as soon as possible. However, it was only after intercepting a draft separation agreement from Nancy's lawyer that Brad took both girls' passports and refused to allow Nancy to leave. Nancy was requesting $2,100 a month in child support and another $2,000 a month in spousal support. That's when Brad suggested that they each take one child, that way neither of them would owe the other child support. It's also when he tricked Nancy at an outdoor event by leaving something in her car and then needing the key to go back and get it. It was then that Brad searched the car and took the girls' passports, preventing Nancy from leaving. Brad stated that the reason Nancy wanted the divorce was because she found out he had a one-night stand with her best friend, Heather Meter. At first, Brad had denied the affair. It was only later that he reluctantly admitted to having sex with Heather just one time. But Heather had already confessed to Nancy that the relationship was much more serious than only a sexual encounter. Six months later in marriage counseling, Brad confessed again that the relationship had gone on for over a year and he was in love with Heather at that time. That's when Nancy began complaining to her family that her relationship had become untenable. The only reason for the confession was because Heather was being sued by another woman in an alienation of affection lawsuit filed for breaking up another woman's marriage. That's when she told Brad that in the discovery process, all of their emails and text messages may become part of the case. But Brad continued to lie to police and pretended it was only one time in the master closet during a play date while both of their children were napping. Police stated that Brad was rude throughout the short interview and asked them what they were doing wasting their time with him when they could be out looking for his wife. Surprisingly, now he starts to show concern because he's being looked at under a microscope. But Brad was home. Nancy's friends and family were at a press conference asking the public for help. A press conference that Brad declined to participate in. There, They spoke briefly, hoping for Nancy's safe return. We... Uh have been here today to help find Nancy. We believe that she will be brought home soon. And we thank the community for the support they've given and we and ask that they continue in their effort to help find our daughter. 
And Cary Police today said they believe Nancy Cooper is alive. They are treating this as a missing person case. They have no suspect or person of interest. We're live in Cary. Garrick Brenner, ABC 11 Eyewitness News. Garrick, thank you. Gary Rents, Nancy's father, joined the press conference asking the public for help in finding his daughter, not realizing her body would be found the next day, just one and a half miles from her home in a drainage ditch and retention pond. Just two days after she had gone missing on July 14, 2008, it was a dog walker who found Nancy's body partially nude, face down in a muddy drainage pond located on Fielding Drive in an undeveloped construction phase of their neighborhood. And when she was found, she was wearing the black and red sports bra that Brad had described. The rest of her clothing and shoes were all missing. The bra was only partially covering Nancy's chest as it had become entangled on itself. Nancy's death was classified as a homicide by the chief medical examiner. The medical examiner stated in her report that sports bras are tight and difficult to get on, and they can roll up in the back. The bra on Nancy's body was rolled up in the back and only covered one breast. She felt that this bra had been pulled onto Nancy's body and never adjusted by her, which could mean she wasn't conscious or alive when it was put on her body. The medical examiner report also noted that Nancy's hair was long and worn down, not in her usual trademark ponytail she wore when she was running. The medical examiner found a fracture of the hyoid bone in Nancy's neck, along with pinpoint hemorrhaging in throat tissue. The cause and manner of death was manual strangulation. Her stomach contents consisted of caffeine and an undigested onion. The night before her alleged run, Nancy had drank a Diet Coke earlier in the night and ate a salad with onion. The medical examiner said her stomach contents would have been completely digested by 6 a.m. the next morning when she allegedly woke to go on a jog. The medical examiner further stated that the fact that her stomach was mostly empty but for the onion could be consistent with having vomited up some of the stomach contents while being strangled. Therefore, her time of death was placed between 1 a.m. and 7 a.m. on the 12th, which meant that Nancy could have encountered her murderer after she returned home or quickly after she began her morning jog. Nancy's friends and neighbors played a key role in the investigation into the murder, and they were eager to share all that they knew with investigators. Nancy's friend said Brad was a master at the most subtle forms of abuse which revolved all around control. Of course, this happened in 2008 before we had a name for this type of domestic abuse. And now we know it's called coercive control, which is an emotional power-based type of intimate partner violence. Coercive control is more specifically defined as any pattern of controlling behavior that creates an unequal power dynamic in a relationship. These behaviors give the perpetrator power over their partner, making it difficult for them to leave. 
It's done to create invisible chains by limiting someone's options, and one of the ways this can be done is with financial control. Something we know that Brad was doing to Nancy when he canceled all of her credit cards, removed her access to their financial accounts, and put her on a cash-only budget. Nancy didn't have black eyes or broken bones. Instead, she had emotional wounds from the daily humiliation and degradation her husband inflicted on her. He chipped away at her self-esteem one little piece at a time, and all of her friends recognized it happening. In one incident, Nancy found an odd piece of paper Brad had hidden under his computer in which he listed out his daughter's favorite things. It listed each child's name with facts like their favorite food and favorite colors. They were all basic things that any father should know about his children. However, on the back of that list was a to-do list that was more ominous. Instead of a list of items to purchase or repair, Brad's to-do list said to close bank accounts, check the values of their cars, check life insurance policies, and locate their wills. According to the book Love Lies, A True Story of Marriage and Murder in the Suburbs by author Amanda Lamb, Nancy's friends were so alarmed by the list that they suggested she stay with one of them and not return home. Nancy's friends individually and collectively all believed Brad was capable of great violence. And they worried about their friend up until the moment she went missing. They all believed Brad was capable of harming her something that she didn't believe until the very end. In fact, just the day prior, her father Gary had called Nancy asking if she thought she was in danger. She assured him that she wasn't. However, Nancy wasn't naive. She knew her marriage was unhealthy and she needed to leave her marriage as quickly and safely as possible. Many of Nancy's friends knew she referred to Brad as the budget Nazi since he liked to control her with money. They shared with investigators that Brad felt like he was the main breadwinner and was the only one with say on how they spent their money. And they knew that he would sometimes deny her the weekly allowance based on his mood. When Nancy began doing odd jobs for neighbors such as painting and babysitting, Brad wouldn't pay her that week until he was sure that she was out of money. And this was the subject of one of their last big public arguments. With Nancy's body found, her family and friends switched their immediate concern to Nancy's children. They didn't know what Brad was capable of anymore. And this is where we're going to leave it for today. Next week, we will cover the shocking things that were uncovered during the investigation, as well as one custody battle, one murder trial, and one successful appeal. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.